Thinking again can help you generate new solutions to old problems and revisit old solutions to new problems. It's a path to learning more from the people around you and living with fewer regrets. A hallmark of wisdom is knowing when it's time to abandon some of your most treasured tools and some of the most cherished parts of your identity. Adam Grant, think again. You know, a lot of our mental horsepower does not necessarily guarantee that we will have mental dexterity. No matter how much brain power we have, unfortunately, if we lack the motivation to change our minds, then we will likely miss the opportunity to think again. And research has revealed that the higher you score on an IQ test, the more likely you are to fall for stereotypes because, you know, you're faster at recognizing patterns. And I have found this to be true. Although I don't think my IQ test ranked very high as a kid, I do see patterns very well. And recent experiments have shown data that suggests that the smarter we are, the more likely we are to struggle with updating our beliefs. And that's critical. Our existential identity is made up of our values, our beliefs, our rituals, our affiliations, and the emotional and meaningful experiences we've had in our lives. I learned that actually from a book on expert negotiating, an incredible book. And I'm so excited to soon do a podcast on, well, expert interpersonal communications and negotiating, because despite what people think, negotiating is not manipulation. And negotiating is just an expert way of seeing both sides to every story because somewhere in the middle lies the truth. It also gives us the ability to listen more and to understand our counterpart or adversary and live in their world, find those underlining interests. And as I begin to dive into the comforts that are killing us and sharing that info with you guys, I find that uh, we need to update our beliefs and come to different perspectives. It requires us to think again, as Adam Grant would say. And as I noted in early episodes, I'm going to be referencing his book multiple times. So let's get into further comforts that are killing us and let's change our own mind and perspective together. So we talked briefly in uh, past episodes <clears throat> regarding what Dr. Lavardi, or excuse me, Lavari, uh, titled as prevalence induced concept change, essentially problem creep, right? That's the fancy way to say it, which explains that. When we experience fewer problems, 
we don't actually become more satisfied, ironically, right? Very counterintuitive, paradoxal problem. We actually just lower our threshold for what we consider to be a problem. And I'm sure we've all experienced this. It reminds me very much of like buying something new, like you're totally satisfied with what you have and you have an opportunity and or you do obtain something that's better. And all of a sudden that thing that satisfied you before is not as great. Yeah, that reminds me of comfort creep. So with that, you know, we're talking about things that are at first, right? Like an issue in nearly any situation. And then no matter how good we have it relative to the grand sweep of things, we are always moving that goal point or goal, goal point. That's hilarious. Goal post, goal post, blah, blah, goal post. And that's a problem because, you know, quite literally, that's the scientific basis for first world problems. You know, and Lavari noted literally, quote, I think this is a low level future of human psychology, end quote. Um, Lavari also noticed that the, the human brain likely evolved to make relative comparisons because doing so uses less brain power than remembering every instance of a situation you've seen or been in. And, you know, I think I shared this with Andrew. I want to say his last name, right? Huberman Huberman. I had a friend correct me earlier today. And if Andrew ever le listens to these, like, Please don't be frustrated with me. I should just get your last name down. <laughs> uh, but as far as I know, our brains require the most energy out of our entire body, right? So we being aware that our brain and the, the brain mechanism is doing this uh, is important. It's critical. You know, early humans they were only allowed to make quick decisions and safely navigate environments because of this factor, right? It helped them. But now it's starting to affect our judgments and we are starting to become less and less satisfied as we get used to the same thing and then, you know, have something new come along. So this creep phenomenon applies directly to how we relate to comfort. And that's why we call it comfort creep. So it's, it's fascinating, right? Like stairs at one time, they were a new marvel of efficiency, you know? Uh, and then the escalator came and it was like, fuck stairs. <laughs> um, elevator as well, right? It's, uh, you know, or, or a little hard earned lean meat and some plain potatoes, was once like the meal of the year and then we got to a point you know it was like why have that you know boring ass combo when there are restaurants on every single block offering some fucking deliciously formulated combination of fat and sugar and salt so that's why i keep going on and on about comfort <laughs> And, and how it is technically starting to kill us if abused. 
and the ways that we can avoid it and and embrace discomfort and why it has served the military and why it's served high performers and why it's served the Buddha and why it's served or Buddhist. And, uh, and that's critical. So let me, uh, let me dig up some more for you guys. In modern society, it was said, it's suddenly possible to survive without being challenged. You'll still have plenty of food. You'll have a comfortable home, a good job to show up to, and some people who love you. And that seems like it's totally legit. However, you know, let's say your potential is much bigger than that, but you're, you know, consciously unaware. We call this conscious incompetence. And if you are unaware of what's outside of that, which has massive opportunity, adventure, meaning, purpose, the whole, the whole spread, right? Then we're living this like small, tiny little bit of life. And there is all this other life outside of that. I'm, it's, it's like, it's like from the book, when things fall apart, there are so many things that you think are going to be great and they're not. And then there's so many things that you think are going to be horrible and it has all of the stuff you ever wanted and more, right? We don't have any idea what exists on the edges of our potential. And guess what's fascinating that you guys already know. I, I know you guys already know this. We, most of us already do. As Jim Rohn would note, things are easy not to do because they're typically easy to do. So we discredit them and we toss them to the side. We believe, well, if, if you could change your life just by reading a few books, everyone would do it. That's the paradox is most people don't do it because it seems easy. So knowing that our potential and all that we could obtain is in the intention of expanding our discomfort zones or excuse me, expanding our comfort zones. That's good to know. I want to know that. You know what I'm saying? I, th I think you guys probably want to know that. So if we miss out on that, we're missing out on the vitality of our lives. Life is short at the longest, as Jim Rohn would say. It really is. Like, we got to take advantage of this. That's why I feel inspired to share this with you guys. Because... Anyone that wants to know deserves to get to know, you know, over our species, hundreds of thousands of years of evolution, by the way, it was essential for us to survive by doing hard shit all the fucking time. We were constantly challenged and this was without safety nets. And these challenges came from all kinds of like really intense shit hunting and gathering resources and working with our tribe and just dealing with severe weather and just on and on. And every time we took on these challenges, we learned what our potential is. I kid you not, friends. I am not, I'm just a Nathaniel, right? I, I value myself, but I still have ex like insane amounts of humility and humbleness. When I step outside of my comfort zone and push myself, it's, it's just, it's always where the gifts are. It's insane. 
from the dopamine and serotonin to self, um, self-esteem, uh, self-worth, power. I, I feel inspired, motivated, and I just, that's crazy. I sleep better. I think better. I feel better. And it's, it's worth us digging into this, you know? So that's why we're here. We're here. Let me pull up some more nuggets for you. I think, you know, we're already getting around 13 minutes here. I'm going to finish this episode with what a Masogi is. So, and how it works to us or works with us for us today, right? A misogi, if you Google search it, is a Japanese Shinto practice of ritual purification by washing the entire body. It is a practice of cleanse and cleansing, and it's also a practice of pushing your boundaries with intentionality. So... When I reviewed Masogi and pushing our limits intentionally with all the books listed below, I found that a lot of people, especially high performers, believe that we have an innate evolutionary machine, if you will, within, within us. And it's triggered when we go out and do really challenging things. And this can be psychological, emotional, and physical, or all three at the same time. And when we explore the edges of our comfort zones, we find massive gifts. Gifts that are hard to explain. You can read about it, and it's just there's so many different examples of it, right? So, since this is the area of human potential, right? We, Misogi, the word itself, it's still technically the Japanese Shinto practice of ritual purification by washing the entire body. But we have now a new modern concept, right? And it is now, you know, and you can use this. You don't have to call it a Masogi. It's just, it's, it's starting to spread, right? We can use a Masogi um, as a way of going out and doing hard shit to mimic the challenges that humans used to face all the time. And a lot of these challenges were environmental and they were natural and they showed us that we are capable of things that we could never really fathom until we're engaged with it. Right. So it's kind of like when people return to the wild west of our everyday lives and they come home and they're better for it, you know, we end up having the right tools for the job when we come home. You ever noticed, and I have, and it's okay if you haven't, by all fucking means, that's what this is for. That's why we're here. 
I have gone out in nature, stayed out for three, four, five. I think I think the most I've gotten to camp ever is like six days. I know, sad for me, but one day more. And I come home and I, I went to the Oregon Country Fair. I got to stay there for a week. It's absolutely incredible. And when I came home, I'll never forget it. My friend Molly, she met me. We hung out. I had all these unique perspectives regarding current challenges that I had, um, toxic relationships I had in my life, where I was, where I needed to be, where I wanted to go, what was really holding me back. It was insane. I'll never forget that day, hanging out with her, and 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 she even was able to reflect, you know, once the psychedelic mushrooms wore off. <laughs> I'm kidding. Well, there's truth in every joke. I am mostly kidding. I was, I, I actually was, I was, I was sober. I was tired, but I was, I was sober. And I had all these realizations because I was just in nature with my tribe, if you will, community out there at the OCF. And it helped me. I was able to realize stuff I couldn't see before. I was glued to the perception of the trees. I wasn't able to see the forest. So with a Masogi, it's, it's very similar in practicality, you know, um, when we crank up or dial up our physical, mental, and spiritual mm, intentional trials, we give ourselves a Masogi. Keep wanting to say Masogi, Masogi. Um, it has massive benefits. Masogi is not just about physical accomplishments. You know, what are we willing to mentally and spiritually put ourselves through to be better? And for the high performers, the people that have tremendous meaning and purpose, people who feel really good about their lives, regardless of their status or their financial you know, whatever's they're constantly doing this and they're reaping massive benefits. People aren't pushing their limits and coming back and being like, man, I wish I hadn't done that unless they fucking died. Bless their hearts. No, they're coming back and they're saying this improved the quality of my life tremendously. So let's finish this with two things how Masogi's put us in a flow state. And as I promised in earlier episodes, we're, we are totally doing an episode or two on flow states. I've read like six books on it. Flow is a hundred percent a part of being a human and it's incredible, right? Okay. Uh, Mr. Or Dr. Uh, Chick sent me high. A uh, Hungarian-American psychologist was the first to discover flow states, right? And this guy, I, I own the book. It's incredible. It's just called Flow. Oh, my God. Shows all the flow states in different ways. We get into flow in so many different ways. Oh, God. Okay. Anywho. 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 Um, in the 1960s, he noticed something fascinating about artists, and that is that they can be completely present and engrossed in their work, and yet, while doing so, increased awareness would emerge. And 
bodily sensations like pain or hunger or sense of ego and self would all fade. And it was like a prolonged Zen art, if you will, like the art of art. <laughs> so he started studying the state and uh, and then he, you know, eventually coined it the flow state. And he he also ran the psychology department at the University of Chicago and was the president of the American Psychological or excuse me, Psychology Association. He interviewed thousands of high performers. We're not talking. I, I can't imagine even just getting to interview 20. No, he interviewed thousands. Right. And they range from chess players, rock climbers, painters, surgeons, writers. I mean, you name it, man. And. He noticed that lapsing into flow requires two conditions. The task must stretch a person's limits and it must have a clear goal, right? This is a Masogi. This is a part of a Masogi. And it makes life much more rich, intense, and meaningful. And, you know, if we're listening to these podcasts together and, and conversating as we are, I'm going to bring up Jim Rohn a lot. Jim Rohn said that life is made up of three core elements. Experiences, their intensity, and their frequency. How frequently can you have intense experiences without dying? That are beautiful, meaningful, challenge, challenging, and, and um, you know, stretching the limits, right? So that's how Masogis, modern Masogis, have come into our modern lives, right? Our model of Masogi. And there's another thing, right? There's two rules with a modern Masogi. Rule number one has to be really fucking hard. And it has to be very specific to you and weird to you, unique. Number two, you can't die. So in... In, in all, to, to wrap this up, I know we're at 22 minutes, okay? To wrap this up, because we're going to get into new hardwired phenomenons tomorrow um, with a study from the University of Michigan. When it comes to a Masogi, you know, it's got to be something that stretches your comfort zone, but doesn't kill you. And it has to be something that's specific to you. And it's not something that you post online. You can't just talk about the goal. You got to talk about the process that's going to put you through your own Masogi. So, I mean, already, I've already written down a list. I've got five things that I know would be my own personal Masogi. And uh, whatever that thing is, just feel the fear and do it. And I'm about to engage in that. And I'm going to podcast about it. I'm not going to share it right now. Uh, it's, it's a little personal to me, but I am going to share it later and let you guys know. But so, yeah, that's it. Uh, Masogis push us into flow states. They push us out of our comfort zone. They improve the quality of our lives tremendously. And, um, like I said, I, I, I knew, well, I didn't know until like my second episode that it was going to take like five, six, seven, eight episodes to cover all of the ways discomfort serve us within the books listed below. But that's it, my friends. I hope you enjoyed this. I know I certainly did. As Jim Rohn said, our philosophy is like the set of the sail. 
So let's set the correct sail, my friends. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.